I'm going to take this week and next, and I want to talk about um, some places in the Bible. The, the Bible has a lot of places where it, it compares the physical world with the spiritual world and says you can learn like, like um, metaphors, illustrations, symbols. Um, and I'm not so sure that God even does much to separate out the physical world from the spiritual world. But there's a lot of things that we can relate to that can help us better understand uh, the spiritual world. Uh, one of God's favorites in Scripture is to talk about a race or competition and how we can look to physical preparation for athletic achievement and relate that to what it takes to develop spiritually. And I think there's a world uh, of, of practical, useful application from those moments in Scripture when God does that or says that. So let me give you one such example, and then I'm going to talk about my own life and how I've seen it. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a trophy, a medal. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So you see the way he talks about, here's an athlete. Here's a spiritual thing. Here's an athlete. Here's a spiritual thing. And makes the comparison. Well, we're going to see some stuff in these next couple weeks. Uh, hopefully we can have some good application to draw from um, um, the analogy of the race or the competition and walking with God's spiritual growth stuff. Now, <clears throat> I started to think about this series eight years ago. So it was about eight years ago when I, when I thought, I need to do a series on this. And it was... Uh, it came when I, when I did some training, some minor training, for this, uh, my first 5K. It was the, uh, the, the Susan, I want to say it right, <clears throat> the, is it Susan B, Race for the Cure? Susan G, Race for the Cure. I just had Race for the Cure in my notes, but my mouth started down the Susan route. So, um, it's in Cleveland. I was about 33 years old at the time. So we're talking eight years ago. And Marcus and Dave, Marcus our worship pastor, Dave our, our youth pastor, were training for this 5K. And they said to me, you should join us. You should train and do this 5K with us. And I was like, nah, I'm good. But as I entered into my mid-30s, I knew that I needed to start to think about my cardio health because I had high blood pressure. And I didn't want Marcus to think he was more athletic than me. So I said, okay, let's, 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 let's do this. <clears throat> and over the course of training for this and doing this 5K, I, I, I started to see these, these perfect metaphors uh, for um, the spiritual life. Let me, let me give you a few. Like, like for one, I, I started to learn um, the benefits of delayed gratification versus immediate gratification. So... To train for this um, 5K, uh, Marcus and Dave and I would go every other day to the rec center and run on the treadmill, and we would do this interval running where we would run at a certain level of intensity and then back off, and then intensity, and then back off every other minute for about 20 minutes, and, and I, I did every other day faithfully with them until I didn't want to run with them anymore because Marcus is a cause for flooding concerns. Um, from the volume of sweat 
that flies. Like I just kind of glisten. And, and it's like, yeah, it, like you just see it like expand. And Dave sounds like he's demon possessed. People are like looking. He's like, no, no, and that's like, I'm not even, that's not hyperbole. That's literally what Dave sounds like. So I did my own thing after a few weeks with those guys. I appreciate them introducing me to interval running. Um, but here's, here's what I learned. I learned that um, while I hated those first few sessions and found no benefit, only pain, before, during, and after, after a few weeks, I started to reap the benefits. Like I slept better at night. Uh, throughout the day, I felt this like calm, this, the endorphins and such that kick in, and, and you just start to feel really good. And, and it was a great lesson, which is very true in the spiritual realm. There may be no immediate payoff when you are doing things that, that are the right thing, that are good things, that, that require self-discipline. But if you stick to it, you start to see benefits that far outweigh those things that we do that have immediate gratification. Eating a whole pizza is way more immediately gratifying, but not lasting. The reverse is true with physical exercise and also the spiritual realm. Second, um, second bit that I learned right away is that you're not as good as you think you are. Like I got into this and I had trained my six weeks and we're ready for this, this, this race. And it was time, the big decision was, um, do we time it or not? You got this little thing for your shoelaces. You could pay extra and they would time you if you, if you wanted to, to actually compete versus there are thousands of people there just running for the cause. And, and to decide this, I had to, um, I had to ask myself, well, is my time going to be respectable, right? Like, am I, could I place after my six weeks of training against thousands of people? So I Googled, what's a good time for a 33-year-old in a 5K? I knew that I could maybe come in around 26 minutes if I really, like, you know, if I really poured myself out. The adrenaline of the day. I just didn't know whether that was good or not, or, or more like, how good is that? And I read, the first article that I read was, there will be 33-year-olds who are still able to sprint the 5K. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> so I very quickly closed and humbly closed my laptop and realized that there was no need to fill out the paperwork for the shoe tag. I would not be timing myself and uh, my 26 minutes. Um, at the 5K. And, and then I, I also learned this, and then we'll get back into some scripture. Um, very useful spiritual lesson. You can't will it. You cannot will your body to do something that requires training. All right, we're there at this, at this which is 3.1 miles. And, and it's, you know, it, it's for a great cause. And a lot of people were there. It became very apparent around the one mile mark, this, this spiritual lesson, 
Because around the one mile mark, there were people, like I didn't expect this. I'm running, there's thousands of people. And, and around the one mile mark, people start doubling over. People are puking. People are crying. People are, are devastated because they really wanted to like run this to honor their relative that's going through cancer. They're crying. What, what? You can't will your body to do something that you haven't trained it to do. Like you could get to that one mile mark, but then your body's like, nope, done. And it felt good like to know, well, man, I, I, I can do this, but, but it was a, a harsh reminder. And I think spiritually so often we, we, we rely on emotion too much and we think that, man, why can't I? Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe you're frustrated that you're always doing something that you don't want to do, responding to something, you can't get over your anger issues, whatever. But you go back to, you, you wonder why you're not prepared for the moment or the race spiritually. But if you're to go back and revisit your actual daily disciplines, you'd see really quick that you think that you're just going to will it to be. And that's not how it works. All right, so let me read to you. This is a long one. This is Hebrews 12, um, a very famous what? What happened? Oh, I see. Okay, no, there's more to come. It's like this whole page and half of the next. I have that space there because I got to say something about one. You guys threw me. There were people leaving. You guys are laughing. I'm... Thought maybe I said husbandry or something like that, like Dave, in that prayer, <clears throat> but I didn't. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so Paul is making reference, thus the space. Paul is making reference to uh, Hebrews 11. He, he's, he's just mentioned, uh, he calls it the cloud of witnesses. This, um, um, he talks about all these great saints of old and uh, how they persevered to do something great. He's saying, there's your example, the great cloud of witnesses. Next. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, 
we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits, that's his fancy way of saying God, and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. couple of thoughts, and I know that's like a ton of, of stuff to think through, but let's start. Let's start as, what I got is kind of two spiritual principles and then two points of application from that. What I want you to do is I want you to start by thinking about what life has been like for you up to this point. We would all love to be a trust fund kid, Right? Like if God is handing out assignments, who wants trust fund kid? I'll, I'll take it. Like HGTV, looking for your starter home in San Diego with your trophy wife. He's a barista. She's a personal trainer. They have a long list of must-haves, but with a budget of only $2.5 million. <laughs> Can they find the perfect starter home? But that's not real life. That's not real life. We have, um, we have pains of, like some of you are going through some medical stuff, and it's a real setback. Uh, some of you have, uh, some of you had miscarriages, wish you could have kids and couldn't. Some of you have some challenges of special needs kids. Some of us have grown kids or kids in the house right now making decisions that are driving us insane. Some of us are dealing with aging parents, dementia and other health struggles, and and siblings being jerks about how to handle it. Some of you have been overlooked for uh, career growth, uh, job losses, financial struggles, marriage struggles, It is very difficult. It's not easy. There's usually a great deal of pain and frustration, disappointment in life. Some of you are serving God and building his kingdom, and it brings its own set of frustrations. Man, it can be frustrating. The weekend approaches, and you got another lesson to prepare for kids' ministry. Another Thursday night to leave your family and do the band, singer, worship leader thing. Show up early on Sunday morning for another week to lead worship. Some of you lead community groups. You got a house to clean, a meal to prepare, a lesson to plan. And and sometimes people bail on Friday. It's like your phone's just bing, bing, bing. I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. And, And it can be very frustrating to maintain that Level of commitment to do your thing to help other people and build God's kingdom. I know. It can be very frustrating. So it's very helpful to me to see these passages of Scripture that talk about a race, that talk about endurance, that tell me how to view my setbacks. Let me start with the first... first, 
concept that's so helpful from Hebrews 12 is, is what I see is, is uh, the author. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but he says, uh, consider Jesus, the author and perfecter, the example of your faith. Consider what he endured. What the author essentially says is, yep, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It shouldn't be any different for you than it was for Jesus, the author of that thing that you profess to follow. There's something very helpful for me to just hear Jesus say, yeah, you want to follow me? It's hard? Yeah. Yeah, it was hard for me. That three and a half years that he led while he was here didn't go well all the time. He had setback after setback. So I should not expect to have it any differently. It's going to be difficult. He talks about that cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses. Hebrew 11, the cloud of witnesses. The Bible is not a storybook of people who go through easy victories to do great things for God. The Bible is a storybook of people who lived real lives of difficulty with setback and failure after setback and failure. And just about anything you could be going through, they went through it, but they endured. And sometimes their payoff wasn't even till after they were dead. They never got to the point where they were like, ah, now look at my portfolio of success. They just kept serving. They just kept going. And they got to the end of the race and they could say, I ran well the race that you had laid out for me. Second concept in all this that is so helpful for me is Hebrews 12 presents that our pain and frustration is actually a part of our development. Now, have you ever met somebody who was like ripped, but they didn't do anything that brought discomfort? Like they, 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 they didn't choose healthy food over garbage? They didn't work out? Because when we, when we work out, we, I understand this anyway, that's what I read, um, it rips your muscles and then your muscles rebuild Bigger, stronger, more capable. Like that's in the system. That's how it works. You don't develop spiritually without the pain, without the agony. That's just how it works. It's a part of the discipline. It's a part of the development. We read, have you forgotten the exhortation, the encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises or chastens or purifies through discipline every son whom he receives. Unless you want to be a spoiled brat that can't deal with anything, Look to difficulties as a sign that God is developing you. You can never assume that just because you are going through a difficult time in life, that you've done something wrong, 
or that God is distant from you. You can never make that assumption. In fact, Hebrews seems to say God is most at work. doesn't mean that he causes it, but God is most at work in your setbacks and your pain. <clears throat> now, a couple real practical points of application. Number one, be aware of where the tension is and know that that is where God has the most potential to develop you. Be aware of where the tension is and think through how you can respond in ways that better your character. The Stoics, and I love Stoic philosophy. The Stoics used to say, immediately when you're frustrated, say this. Blank is the price to be paid for blank. Nothing is free. You can't get something for nothing. Blank is the price to be paid for blank. Let me give you an example. I'm at Panera every Sunday morning, working through, reading through my sermon so that it's fresh in my mind. And every morning on Sunday at around 7.55, I got my booth, same booth. Guy comes in with his wife every Sunday morning, 7.55. Have I told you about this? He sits in the... That's not adjacent. That's whatever. The diagonal. I need to let it go and not try to think of that word. He sits there. He gets his cinnamon crunch bagel. And he talks with his mouth full. Drives me insane. I, if you want to answer a question with your mouth full, that's... It wasn't on you. They, they invited you. But to carry on a story with your mouth full. I, I, and so rather than praying that he chokes. <laughs> not like dies. But like gets scared like, like he can't breathe. And then somebody has to do Heimlich. And then I can go over and say, you know, maybe don't talk with your mouth full. Instead of praying for that, I tell myself, listening to that full talk, no, you can't say full, that's not, listening to him talk is the price that I pay for laser focus during my sermon and patience. And it fades. So, Start to do that. Start to say, there's the frustration. That is the price that I pay for that. Like, recognize the tension and the growth, because this keeps you focused. And this is where, I mean, I'm, I'm serious about this. This keeps you focused on the good that can come from it. When you label, this frustration could result in this positive character growth. And you label it, and you're very aware of it. The next thing that you need to do is to focus on the difference that you can make in someone's life by how you respond to this. In 1 Timothy 4, and he's talking about training. I'm just going to go down to 16. He says, persevere, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's reminding Timothy, there are always people watching you. There are always people watching you. And I promise you, and I mean this after 20-some years of ministry stuff, 
And after years and decades of going through pain myself and seeing you guys go through pain, there is nothing that leads people toward God, toward Jesus. There is nothing more potent than how they see you respond to the setbacks in your life. When you go through pain and people see you respond and grow from it, nothing says there is something to this Jesus thing like you persevering in hardship. So, to wrap this up in the bank and come on up. Maybe you're here realizing that you haven't done much to uh, train spiritually, to gain strength spiritually, and you realize that you're out of shape. Or maybe you're here weary from the struggle of the marathon. Maybe you're ready to quit or wondering why you should keep going on. Remember that the example of your faith, the author and perfecter, ran with you. He ran to the completion of his mission for you. Remember that you cannot interpret your struggles as a sign of God's distance from you. He's using everything to make you stronger. Remember that other people will benefit from your perseverance. And lastly, remember that the finish line is in sight. There's a great cloud of witnesses, loved ones, Jesus himself, who have already ran, and they're there at the finish line cheering you on. And we're going to get there and we're going to celebrate together. So keep pressing on. Remember that each day we run is one day closer to the moment when we cross the line. And know that we ran the race that God laid out for us with every ounce of strength that we could muster up.